Good morning, everyone. Welcome. We are glad that you are here this morning. It's uh, it's good to share this time with you as as always. It's good to share uh, the fellowship of of, uh, of God's Spirit in this place. And we welcome everyone. We welcome our guests especially today. We're glad that you're here and hope God will bless you in a very special way as we share this time together. Let me remind everyone of our attendance sheets on each row. We'd like to ask if you would to take those and fill them out so we could have a record of your attendance with us this morning morning and um, pass them down and let others uh, fill, them, fill them out and uh, we would appreciate that. Go ahead and check in on social media, let folks know that you're here today. And just a few announcements I'd like to call to your attention. First of all, uh, this Wednesday we will be having uh, our blood drive. We do this uh, three or four times a year and so that will be happening again on this Wednesday. And so if you would like to volunteer or if you would like to make an appointment uh, to, to contribute your blood, then see Jacob, and she will sign you up. Uh, also, we're having a missions meeting today. We've got a lot of things going on we need to talk about, uh, some things that are coming up, some things that we've uh, accomplished. and so, so we'll be having a meeting today at 4 o'clock. And also notice in your bulletin, uh, there is a save the date uh, for our Extreme Build. Uh, Extreme Build is coming. Is something we do every year. It, it's coming up in June, June the 9th through the 15th. So go ahead and get that on your calendar. Um, we will be going to McCreary County again like we, all, we do every year. And Extreme Build is really remarkable. If you've never been a part of this, let me encourage you to, to jump on, onto this. We arrive there on Sunday morning and the, the uh, foundation of a house is up and maybe some of the framing is up, but we meet about 100 volunteers from around Kentucky there and in one week, in less than a week actually, in five or six days, we build a whole house. And on Saturday of the next week, we are handing the keys to the new owners of this house. It is amazing to see. It's amazing to be a part of. So uh, let me let me uh, encourage you uh, to uh, put that on your calendar if you have any interest in that. And by the way, you don't have to know how to hammer a nail or saw a, a straight line or anything like that. We also need people to to help with the cooking and providing meals and things like that. So so. Uh, there's room for everybody there, so come and join us for that. Um, and there's a lot going on, so take a look in your bulletin there and you'll see uh, some things that are happening in here. It's great to be a part of such a, a busy fellowship uh, for the kingdom of God. And let me invite you now to stand and let us share the love of God with one another. Thank <laughs> you. 
please remain standing for prayer. Please pray with me. Merciful God of compassion and justice, have mercy on us as we confess our sin. We are not the stewards that Christ has called us to be. Riches possess us while others go hungry. We mismanage creation with our pollution and strife in an effort to obtain even more than we already have. We abuse your provision for us by our selfish desires. So help us, O God. Help us to hear again Christ's call for us to be faithful and forgive us as we repent of our sin. Loving God, the widow of Zarephath, with just a handful of flour and a few drops of oil, fed the prophet Elijah even before she fed her child and herself. God, teach us the joy of hospitality which welcomes both friend and stranger, both neighbor and enemy, and so finds you feasting with us. God of abundance, the widow of Jerusalem with just two small coins offered to you her love, her worship, and all that she had. Teach us the joy of giving freely, which counts nothing as our own, but willingly we give, and so we find you giving with us. O God of resurrection, Jesus Christ, with his whole being, sacrificed himself for the sake of your love for us. Teach us the joy of giving ourselves to you so that we yearn for your presence, long for your salvation, and so find you living in us. God of mercy, it is ever your will that we love and work and pray for those who are in need of bread and of shelter, of healing and of wholeness. Hear the prayers that we make for those of our world, those of our community, those of our family who are in need. And, O oh God, we pray that you would bless your church all throughout the world and here on Pebble Creek Drive. Help us to fulfill the purpose that you have given to us. Especially pray for our own congregation. Guide us each day. Help us to give as completely as we have received. For we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our brother, and our friend, who gave his all. Amen.
will come down front for our children's moment, please. or been through a teachable moment? I bet you have. How many here knows how to make their bed up? How many here knows how to unload the dishwasher? How many here um, knows how to pick up their toys? Well, you know, you're always learning something. And believe me, all these things that you have learned will be valuable, not only today, not only as your child, but as you grow I have in front of me, these are mason jars. <laughs> and you, I have used, this is a quart size. They're also coming in pint size. And I have known these all my life for candy. Green beans or preserves, jams and jellies. But only the other day, while I was watching one of my cooking shows, did I learn something, a teachable moment. Do you know that on the side of mason jars are listed measurements? A fourth a cup, a half a cup, three-fourths a cup, and a cup. I didn't know that. I learned something brand new. See it? So, there you go. There's my teachable moment. Never too old to learn something new. So today, we're going to go to the scripture about a story because Jesus was all about teachable moments. I, personally, am a visual learner. So it's pretty cool when, you know, you can learn something by seeing it, by observing it and watching it. So he said, he and his disciples were sitting across from the offering box at the temple. And they were observing how the crowd tossed the money in the collection. Many of the rich were making large contributions. But one poor widow came up and put in two small coins, a measurement of two cents. The Bible tells us that while they were sitting there, Jesus thought, okay, gentlemen and ladies, I've got something I want to show you right now. There are a lot of rich people, and they come in, and they put in their money. gave more. Hmm. If I was observing, that's probably a cup of money. (laughs) And this is just two pennies. Jesus told his disciples that the two coins were more than this. Because the widow gave all she had and she had faith that God was going to take care of her. The wealthy gave, but they still kept some at home, fearing that they would need it for a later time. The rich people were giving just a small amount of their money. It showed that she trusted God. The widow did. So how can you give 
just a little bit of what you have. Maybe it's someone at the lunch table that needs a friend to sit with. Maybe you know someone that may need some food. Maybe it's someone that needs just your smile. So let's pray. God, I know you want us to follow you with all that we are. Help us to be like the widow who was happy to give you even when she, even if, when it was the last that she had. Amen. Heavenly Father, you have given us everything. The universe, we've sung about it all this morning. The universe, the world, our life, the grace, the strength, our salvation, your Son, nothing 
belongs to us nothing. Please help us with a joyful heart to give back to you, not only, dear Heavenly Father, of our money, but also help us to give the best of ourselves, the best of our heart, the best of our minds, the best of our focus, the best of our time, dear Lord, because you you deserve our very best. Forgive us, dear Heavenly Father, when we don't have the faith to do that. But please love us as we know you do. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Notice the words aren't up on the screen. I'm the one that does the scripture, and I forgot to put them up there. So, this morning's scripture is Mark 12:38 through 44. As he taught, he said, "Beware of the scribes, who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces." And to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' horses, houses, and for the sake of appearance, say long prayers, they receive the greater condemnation. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched a crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he said to his disciples, 
and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. so much. What a beautiful reminder to us that we need to give our best to the Master because He gave His best for us. I don't know about you, 
But I love it when I see wealthy people giving their money away. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, I don't see their, their giving as sacrificial in any way. They're still going to have a lot more money than any of us will ever dream of. But still, it, it was pretty impressive a few years back to see 168 billionaires, that's with a B, billionaires, line up with Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, two of the richest men in the world, to announce that they will give away at least half of their money by the time they die to help fund worthwhile causes across the United States, I mean across the world. And of course, you don't have to be a billionaire to make that kind of pledge. I understand that actor Jackie Chan has also announced that he will give away half of his worth, his net worth. Unfortunately, his contribution will be based on a mere $350 million instead of something in the billions. But it's a start. Well, one day Jesus saw a group of wealthy men lining up to make a contribution to the temple. And they were making a huge show of it. They wanted people to know about their generosity. They wanted people to be aware of their charity. So what did they do? They used a bunch of large coins so that when the pieces of money fell into the box, this is what happened. We, we like minds think alike. Our great minds think alike, Nora. This is what happened. A lot of noise, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's the way it was. They wanted to make a lot of noise so people would understand what they were do- doing and how much they were giving to the, to the treasury. And of course, such a demonstration of public piety was not restricted to the first century. I mean, wealthy people today love to see their names on libraries and press boxes and hospitals and foundations and scholarships and all kinds of other places where people will just be amazed at their their generosity. And don't get me wrong, society is truly enhanced because of their generosity, but do not be misled. Because in most cases, these acts of generosity really don't cost these wealthy people very much. Because you see, even after they have made their generous contributions, they still have more on hand than they could ever spend in a lifetime. Their situation is totally different from that poor widow that Jesus observed quietly bringing her gift to God. You see, that poor widow only had two coins, an offering worth only about a penny, one penny. And that's all she had. And I doubt anybody there even noticed her giving her offering. But Jesus did. And He called His disciples together and He said to them, Do you see that widow over there? That widow put more money in the treasury than anybody else because they gave out of their abundance, but she gave all that she had. Did you catch that? 
According to Jesus, her gift of one penny was more significant than Bill Gates or Warren Buffett's billions. Because their gifts are not really a sacrifice. But she gave all that she had. Truly a sacrifice to God. Jesus was always thrilled to see authentic faith being lived out. In fact, I think Jesus would say that if faith is not lived out, then it's not authentic. But is there any question that this poor widow loved God? She put her money where her heart was, and she gave all that she had. So I want us to look carefully at the actions of this widow this morning, because I believe that there may be some things here that we might normally overlook. First of all, I want to suggest that this widow's act of devotion may have been an indication that she had forgiven God. Now, some of you are kind of going, huh? You're probably feeling a little bit uncomfortable right now that I would even suggest that she had a reason to forgive God. But hear me out. This lady was a widow. She had lost her husband. Some of you have experienced that in your own lives. And, and you know the hurt and the loneliness that that, 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 they may, that may bring to your life. But also the temptation to bitterness and anger. Some of you may be familiar with the work of a psychiatrist named Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. She was a pioneer in the study of death, and she wrote a groundbreaking book titled On Death and Dying. And it was in this book that she first described the five stages of grief. She observed that, that most people who have lost a loved one experience most, if not all, of these stages of grief. The five stages she described are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Some people handle these stages quite easily, while others get bogged down in one or more of of the stages. And sometimes you get through one stage and you go to another, and then you come back and visit one you've already been through before. But I want to focus today on that second stage, anger. It's not unusual for someone who has loved someone and that person has died to be angry. First of all, with the person who has died. How could he leave me like this? We cry out to someone who can no longer hear. It's also not unusual for that person to be angry at themselves. If I had just done things a little differently, maybe, maybe he, would, he would still be around. Some of you may have been there. And finally, it's not unusual in a situation like this to be angry with God. If God is all-powerful and all-loving and can do anything that God wants to do, then why didn't God spare my loved one? None of us really deal that well with the idea of losing someone that we love. No matter how strong our faith is in God or, or in a heaven above, it's still hard to let go, isn't it? The fact is that when we lose someone we love, we love it, it takes time for healing. And, and one of the obstacles to healing may be our resentment towards God. And so the first thing this widow may have been saying as she dropped those two coins in the offering plate is that I've come to grips with my grief. 
I'm over my resentment. I'm at peace with God. The second thing this widow may have been saying was that she trusted God. Now that's important because things weren't like they are today in those days. You see, there was no Social Security in those days. There were no pensions. There were no monthly checks or IRAs or 401Ks that she could depend on now that her husband was gone. The fact is that widows in those days were among the most vulnerable people in society. Unless she had children to support her or or perhaps another family member who would take her in, she was at the mercy of a heartless society. And Jesus indicated that these two coins that she gave were, were all that she had. In other words, she was very, very poor. And if indeed she did give all that she had, she must have done it trusting that God would provide for her needs. That's a lot of trust, isn't it? To put in the very last that you have in the hopes and in the trust that God's going to take care of you. My my friends, that kind of trust, that kind of confidence, that kind of hope is always pleasing to God. The late United Methodist uh, Bishop Charles Golden was visiting a a mission school in India um, one day where where the students sang an African-American spiritual for him. And they sang it to him as a courtesy, he said, because he's, he's a black man. And they sang the song, I Got Shoes. But as they were singing this song with such gusto and joy, Bishop Golden said that he suddenly realized that these children who were singing that song were all barefooted. And it reminded him that when his people composed that song and sang it during the days of slavery, they were barefooted too. You see, it's a song of hope. It's a song of trust. Because they knew that there would be shoes in heaven. When they got there. Remember how it goes? I got shoes. You got shoes. All God's children got shoes. When I get to heaven, I'm going to put on my shoes and walk all all over God's heaven. In other words, I might be barefoot right now. And this may be the last two coins that I have that I'm dropping into that treasury, but God's going to provide. This may have been the widow's way of saying, I trust God. God's going to provide for me. So this widow had forgiven God, and she trusted God. And there's one more thing that her offering may have said that day, and that is that she believed in the work of God. The work of the temple was important enough to her that she wanted to support it. She wanted to put God first in her life, and so she gave all that she had. William Hendricks uh, tells about a man who owns a lucrative business and several years ago he and his wife met with a, a strategic planner to help them chart a course for the rest of their, life, their lives. And so for the better part of a morning, the consultant sat with them and listened to them talk about themselves and their goals, their aspirations and what they wanted out of life. And finally, the consultant took out a piece of paper and he, and he drew a small box at the top of the paper. And then out to the side, he wrote two words, Jesus and money. 
And then he looked at the couple and he said, from, from what you've been telling me, there are two major forces that have powered your life up until now. But as, as I see it, you're at a point where one or the other has to take priority. Now you tell me which one of these words I should put in that box. And I'll tell you how to map out your strategy. If you want Jesus in the box, then fine. I'll, I'll show you how to organize your life around Him. And if you want money, I can show you how to do that too. So which word do you want to put in the box? Well, the, word, the room was quiet for a while. About three or four minutes, actually. And they didn't say a word. Really didn't need to. You see, they realized that they had come to a fork in the road where they were going to have to decide which agenda mattered most in their lives. Their financial interests or their commitment to Christ. We're told that the couple put Jesus in the box. And by their own testimony, it's made a profound difference in the course of their lives. So which word would you put in the box? Which is your greater priority, Jesus or money? This widow spent her last two pennies on the work of God rather than on herself because the work of God was that important to her. Robert Chenez wrote a book about, uh, it was titled, Five Practices of Fruitful Congregations. I want to read you a few lines from that book. He said, every sanctuary and every chapel in which we have worshipped, every church organ that has lifted our spirits, every pew where we have sat, every communion rail where we have knelt, every hymnal from which we have sung, every praise band that has touched our hearts, every church classroom where we have gathered with our friends, every church kitchen that has prepared our meals, every church van that has taken us to camp, and every church camp cabin where we have slept are all the fruit of someone's extravagant generosity." We have been the recipients of grace upon grace. We are the heirs, the beneficiaries of those who came before us, who were touched by the generosity of Christ enough to give graciously so that we could experience the truth of Christ for ourselves. And then he said this, We owe the same to generations to come. Keep that in mind. My friends, for the past almost 25 years, as a church, we have struggled financially. From week to week sometimes. Mostly because of our debt on this building. It has felt like a chain around our necks, keeping us from accomplishing, accomplishing much of what God wants us to do. Three years ago, this month, we launched into a three-year campaign to reduce that debt. And we didn't know what we were getting into. We didn't know how it was going to turn out. We looked at different ways of doing it. You may remember back in those days. We looked at different ways of doing it, and there was a, there was a lot of emotion tied up into this, both positive and negative, about how we would handle this debt. 
And so when, when we launched into this unleashed debt reduction campaign, it was a step of faith. A huge step of faith. I remember sitting in a finance team meeting a little over three years ago when we were discussing this, and one of the members of our team said, wouldn't it be great if we could raise $20,000 or maybe even $50,000? And I thought we could probably do better than that over three years, but I didn't know how it would turn out. But folks, because of people like you who believe in the work of God... In 35 months, we have raised almost $340,000. Thank you. And I don't know if any of these gifts were truly sacrificial or not. I don't know who gives what in this church. I don't want to know. But I suspect there was some sacrifice involved. But do you know why I have given to this debt reduction campaign? It is very much like what Robert Schnee said in, in his book that I quoted from a minute ago. After listing all of those things that we benefit from now because of the sacrifice of those who came before us. And you remember what he said? We owe the same to generations to come. I'm not going to be here forever. You're not going to be here forever. The day will come when none of us in this room will be here, but by God's grace and by our sacrifice, this building will be here serving this community in ways that we have not even yet imagined. Because there will be no debt on it. I am sure that it was great ple- with great pleasure that this widow dropped those two coins into the treasury. It's because she knew that she was a part of something bigger than herself. And hopefully we do too. I know that when we started our debt reduction campaign, we made our, a commitment to ourselves and to God. We didn't do any commitments to the church. We didn't take up any pledge cards or anything like that. It was between us and God. We made a commitment between ourselves and God for three years, which ends in just a couple of weeks. And it's all voluntary anyway. Nobody's making anybody do anything they don't want to. But our finance team is in agreement. And the deacons I've talked to agree. I'm going to continue my gifts to the Unleashed Debt Reduction Campaign. And I know of many others that are going to do that as well. And I hope you will. And if you haven't been a part of this exciting adventure, it's not too late. (laughs) It's not too late to get on board. Um, And remember that this is not a part of your regular tithes and offerings. This is over and beyond what you would normally give. Because the work of of God continues even as we're trying to pay this building off. And and the work that we're doing now has to be paid for as well. But listen to this, folks. Listen to this. At our current pace, this building will be completely paid for in just a little over two years. We're in striking distance. And then, what a celebration we're going to have. By making this meager contribution to God's work, 
This widow was saying that she wanted to be a part of something bigger than herself. Something that would live on beyond herself. Something that... uh, that would enable her to participate in God's work here on earth. And so it is no wonder that Jesus praised her profusely to her, to his disciples. She had been victorious over her grief. She trusted God for her daily bread and she was involved in the ongoing work of God's kingdom. In fact, my friends, in God's eyes, this poor widow gave more than Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, and Jackie Chan all wrapped up together. And it is by working together and giving together that we will see this great goal accomplished one day and hopefully soon. We're going to be debt free. Thank you, and amen. Amen. We've come to that part of the service where we will um, observe the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. I'll ask our deacons to come and go ahead and and prepare our, our elements here. Take your places here. As we do this, just the instructions for how to do this will begin in the, in the back and come down the middle aisle. And on each side, there will be two stations, one with uh, someone holding the bread and someone holding the cup. And you'll come by and take the bread and then move to the cup and dip the bread into the cup and then eat the bread that has been soaked uh, with the juice. We also will have some deacons who will be in the congregation moving forward. If you would prefer to stay where you are, if you have trouble getting up here, or would prefer the traditional means of, of, uh, of, of taking the Lord's Supper, then you can just sit where you are, and one of our deacons will come and serve you at your seat as well, whichever way. And let me say that all are welcome at God's table. Every single person is welcome at God's table. In my reading of the gospel, I never saw Jesus turning anyone away. And we don't either. This is a table of grace. It is not a table which we, uh, which we come to because we deserve to. We come to this table because God has invited us to this table. And God has invited all of us. And as we take this communion, it is in remembrance. It is in remembrance of Jesus Christ. It is remembrance of someone else who gave all that he had. He gave his life. And that's what communion is. It is a representation of the body and blood of Christ that was shed for us. And so as we take this communion, communion, ponder that and think about the sacrificial gift that Christ made for you. This is my body which is given for you. 
And in the same way, he took a cup. He said, this is the blood of a new covenant. He said, take and eat this bread and take and drink this cup. For as often as you eat and drink, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Let us remember that as we take and eat and drink. of freedom, we know that all we have comes from Your hand. Gracious and loving God, You call us to be stewards of Your abundance, caretakers of all that You have entrusted to us. So help us to use Your gifts wisely. Teach us to share them generously. Send Your Holy Spirit to work through us, O God, bringing Your message to those whom we serve. And may our faithful stewardship be a witness to the love of Jesus Christ in our lives, who gave His all for us. Amen. Amen.